Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 5. So we'll reread this verse, we'll have a word of prayer, and then we'll look at today's message. The verse says this, Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fears shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish, and the grasshopper shall be a burden, and desire shall fail, because man goeth to his long home, and the mourners go about the streets. So the almond tree is our subject for today, and you had it right, and you had the subject right too. So let's pray together and we'll look into the message today. Father, we are grateful for all that you uh, have done for us. Thank you, Father, for the great times we've spent here at Berean. I'm sure many other people who have uh, stood in this pulpit say the same thing. And thank you for the uh, marvelous attention and patience and interest of the congregation here to the Word of God. And I pray, Father, you just give me liberty and freedom and unction here today. Uh, As I bring this final message for them, I pray that uh, there will be something that the Spirit of God will minister to every heart here today. May no one go away without some sense of feeling that the Spirit of God was here and working in that individual life. Loose my lips, Lord. Take away from me all those distractions and infirmities that would only be a hindrance. And help me only as unto you to speak the Word of God here today. I pray these things in Jesus' holy and wonderful name. Amen. Well, we are, in fact, considering the almond tree today. I had a bit of a debate, to be honest with you. I was looking at that handful that were remaining. And uh, sometimes when I I develop something like this, I have most of what I think I want. But then as I get into the series, I get other ideas. And sometimes I check around. And sometimes a few other things come to light. But I, I got to looking at the handful that were left and decided that this is the one that I wanted to speak on today. And we're going to uh, call this tree, the almond tree today, the aging tree. Now, very quickly, let me just uh, sort of recapitulate. What we're doing is we're looking at trees with a message. That's the title of the series. And we've been looking at the, the trees normally encountered as we come into the pages of the Bible. We've sort of developed this along two main subdivisions. We've seen Uh, the towering trees, which are unique, unparalleled, three of them in Scripture. You encounter them, but they're unparalleled, they're unique. So we have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden, and then we have the tree of life in the garden. It makes a reappearance later in the Scripture. And of course, we have the tree of Calvary, and I pointed out to you that that's not just trying to find a way to include that, that's actually something that The New Testament goes out of its way more than five times to refer to Calvary's cross as a tree. And I don't have time to go back over all that, but there's a distinct reason for that, and hopefully you got that when we we tied all of that together and brought that message. But then you come to the other trees, just the normal trees that you you would come across if you were a resident of the Holy Land or reading the pages of the Bible. And we call them telling trees because most of them have some message associated with them, and that's what we're doing. So I picked the almond tree today and have decided to characterize that or describe that as the aging tree. Now, or you could call it the tree of aging. Now, now the moment you bring that, bring that up, people say, wow, that's a depressing subject. In fact, you read Ecclesiastes 12, and if you take the meaning of it, it can be a little bit discouraging or depressing. So I thought, well, I need some way to lighten this up a little bit, at least at the beginning. It is a kind of a sobering subject, and I don't want to deprive it of that message that God intends for it to have. 
but I at least want you to smile at the beginning. So life, of course, has its seasons, and I found this. I thought you might enjoy this. Four seasons in life. One is the beginning when you believe in Santa Claus. The second one is when you don't believe in Santa Claus. The third one is when you are Santa Claus. And the fourth one is when you look like Santa Claus. So anyway, we all know life has its seasons, and that's perhaps a worldly way to sort of uh, demonstrate how they progress and some of the, the different things about life that we can at least smile about. Let's start off this morning by sort of summarizing what we know, what we can learn in general or what we can learn from uh, the occurrences of this in the scripture. We have a little easier job with this this morning. I'm going to try to cover most of this, in fact. I'll try to go as quickly as I can, but we only have eight references to almond or almonds with or without tree in the Bible. So remember back we had the juniper tree, there were only four. So we have double this now, but it's not quite as daunting as looking at something like the cedar tree, the olive, or the fig, where you've got in the 50s of references and you need to scour around and get all that material and be sure you've got the right picture. So eight references in the Bible to the almond tree. It's interesting to know that the almond tree is native to Israel. It's also native to Syria, which is north of Israel, right? But think about in terms of Bible lands, what is south of Israel, and that's Egypt, and the almond tree is not native to Egypt. Now, that might seem like a minor detail, but I'm going to come back to that, so just remember you heard me say that. The almond tree has very distinctive blossoms, and one of the things that's very interesting about the blossoms, the flowers, that is, of the almond tree is they appear exceptionally early. I've told you about this saucer magnolia in my yard, and there's a similarity here, except that the blossoms of the almond tree actually appear earlier even than what this saucer magnolia is. Sometimes they occur as early as January, which is winter time, and perhaps more frequently in February, which is still winter time. When they appear, they appear before the leaves. So you think about the tree, it has the complete image or picture of deadness. We think about the deadness of winter. I mean, it's the polar opposite of what you see outside right now. I mean, right now everything is growing, uh, especially the things that you don't want to grow. I mean, it's like they're in warp speed. They just grow and grow and these vines encroach and encroach. And, and you know, I remember back several weeks I said to my wife, you know, I'm looking at the corn. Is it going to make knee high by the 4th of July? You know, that's the old saying, and it's supposed to be knee-high by the 4th of July. And uh, most of it, I think, made it, but I, some maybe didn't. But we were wondering about that. But things are growing this time of the year, and you would never even think about, but, boy, you, you get to January, and all those leaves are off the trees, nothing's growing, there's nothing green, and you have the deadness of winter. And God has built into the, to the, to the very seasons and a, a picture of life because... You get to the winter and you have this picture of deadness and yet spring is on the way and we know that there's the miracle of the resurrection. It's a miracle. Everything comes back to life. And God is the author of that. God is the only one who can bring life from deadness. Whether we're talking about spiritual deadness, man is dead in his trespasses and sins. And the only person who can bring life out of that deadness is God the Holy Spirit in the new birth. But whether we think about the the body going to the grave... God's the only one who can bring life back from that deadness. So this is the picture of the almond tree. Now, these blossoms are significant because when they come out, they're a beautiful 
pinkish color, maybe even a, a fleshly type of a tone. Those are fairly close. But as those blossoms have been there their length of time and as they mature and so forth and they are ready to fall, they turn white. Now, how many people in here were another color originally and now you've turned white? You don't have to raise your hand. But bear that in mind because that's the picture that's going on with this tree such that when these blossoms, originally pink or flesh-toned in color, fall to the ground and they're on the ground, it's almost as if the appearance of a snowfall because of their whiteness. Of course, the almond tree does more than produce those blossoms. The almond tree also produces a delightful nut. How many like almonds? Oh, yeah, almonds are great, and they're good for you, too. And uh, so almonds, uh, and this is why I thought that it was important, because we have said something about the first reference, I think, with about every one of these. So let's turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 43. You can hold here because we will be coming back towards the end to the Ecclesiastes, but I want you to look at Genesis chapter 43. This is the first time we have any reference, and now it makes sense. What we pointed out earlier about the fact that it's native to Israel, it's native to Syria, but it's not native to Egypt. So when Jacob figured out that they were out of food again, this is the context here. When Jacob figured out, you know, we're out of food again, and he was ready to send his ten sons down to Egypt to buy food a second time. Do you remember the stipulation that Joseph, when they were there the first time and they did not know that he was their brother, he said, you cannot return unless you bring your younger brother Benjamin. Remember this. So you can imagine Jacob put this off, he put this off, he put this off. It probably was unwise because they probably got to the place that they were very low on supplies, maybe even faltering somewhat, and these... He finally agrees to go down and to, to let the sons go back down into Egypt and buy food there. And our verse is Genesis 43 and verse 11. He says something very significant. And their father, Israel, it says, said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land in your vessels and carry down the man a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices, and myrrh, and nuts, and look, and almonds. But the important thing that is said there is the best fruits of the land, the almonds. Now, if you're thinking about the almond tree being an image of aging, sometimes we don't always think that way, do we? I mean, we kind of think about the vim and vigor and vitality of youth and all of that, and we think that's the best time in life. But, you know, they have their trade-offs. When you're young, you don't know as much. When you're older, you have wisdom, and there are many blessings that God sees fit, even in this fallen and cursed world, to bring to us in, in the older age and the older season of life. And Proverbs 16.31 brings this out. Proverbs 16.31 says, The hoary head is a crown of glory, if it be found in the way of righteousness. And so if we have lived our lives in a godly way, then... God is with us, and God brings many, many blessings. He calls it the best of the fruits of the land and includes the almond in that. God commands Moses. Here's something else we find. Takes up a few more of the references. When Moses is getting ready to make the tabernacle, God commands that the bowls of the lampstands. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 25. You just move forward from where you are now in uh, Genesis, and you'll come to Exodus. And then chapter 25, God commands that the bowls 
uh, be decorated with the blossoms of the almond. So in Exodus chapter 25 and verse 33, All right, here we go. Three bowls, I'm just going to select one to read. Three bowls made like unto almonds, and the, the idea is the blossoms, with a knot and a flower in one branch, a bud and a flower, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch with a knot and a flower. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick or the lampstand, well, this to me is kind of significance too. Here it was a decorative item so that when you looked at that lampstand, you didn't just see bowls, nothing but bowls. You saw the decoration of the almond blossom. But I think there's an interesting thought in that. There's an interesting message because it doesn't matter really how much you decorate something up. If the oil isn't in the bowl, you have no light. And if God does not provide the life-giving sustenance and force... God is the one who gives life and light. If God does not provide that, it doesn't matter how much we decorate ourselves. And I think about the fact that the older we get, the more lengths it seems we go to to do that. We, <laughs> we have Botox and all this other stuff that's going on out there. But people try to stave off the effects of old age. But it's a, it's a wonderful thing to realize the hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness and that as, as God continues to supply that life-giving force, that life to us, we can be light and we can be a blessing to other people. Without it is so much decoration, you know, there's just a shell there without God in the life. So it's used there. Uh, one more thing we need to see and, and maybe two, but this is kind of significance. Go forward another two books to the book of Numbers chapter 17, Numbers chapter 17, And this is the story of Aaron's rod that budded. Do you remember that story? So you had this rebellion, so to speak. We're introduced to that in chapter 16, verse 1, when it says, Now Korah, the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, and the sons of Eliab, and On, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men and rose up against Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown, gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, and every one of them, and the Lord is among them, wherefore lift ye yourselves up above the congregation of the Lord. Well, they didn't. They were called. And God made a distinction between Moses and Aaron and these others, these 250 princes of renown, and, but they challenged that. And Moses was very meek. He fell on his face. But God said, give to every tribe leader a, a rod. And then they took those rods, which, at least in Aaron's case, turned out to be a dead stick, a dead almond stick. I don't know if the others were or not. Most likely they were, but it, it really wouldn't matter insofar as what happened and what it means to the story of what we're looking at now. Lay them up in the tabernacle overnight. Went in the next day and brought them all out. Okay, Reuben, here's yours. Okay, Levi, here's yours. They were all still dead as a hammer, except for Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod, which had budded and not only budded, but bore 
blossoms and almonds. Look at the verse. Numbers 17, verse 8 says this, and it came to pass that on the morrow Moses went into the tabernacle of witness, and behold, the rod of Aaron for the house of Levi was budded and brought forth buds and bloomed blossoms and yielded almonds. What was that significant of? Well, it, it was a miracle. Only God can bring life out of deadness, right? That's what I alluded to earlier. You've got a dead stick. Only God can bring life out of that, but God did. And of course, this was a vindication. This was a miracle that was meant to vindicate the fact that, that Aaron was in fact called to be the priest of God and Moses was in fact called to be the leader that he was. So Aaron's rod miraculously budded, had blossoms and bore almonds, proving his calling by God. Now, one more thing to say. We're going to go to the book of Jeremiah. This is the last now of the little survey, just to kind of get all our ducks on the pond, be sure we have all the information. We're going to chapter 1. Because something I haven't told you yet is that the Hebrew word that's translated for almond has two meanings. It can mean either watchful or hastening. Wakeful, I meant to say, wakeful or hastening. And you'll see that wordplay brought out in Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. So look there. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying, Jeremiah, what seest thou? And I said, I see the rod of an almond tree. Then said the Lord unto me, thou hast well seen, for I will hasten my word to perform it. Do you see how there's a wordplay there? Almond itself means to hasten or to be wakeful. And so God says, what you've seen is a picture. I'm going, what you know about this, I'm going to hasten my word to perform it because of the fact that the almond tree was so early a bloomer in the, even in the wintertime, well before any normal uh, plants were doing anything like that. Okay, that's our survey. Let's see what we can learn now because it's time to come to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and try to bring all of this together. And I think, that we really can. We can see all the different threads that we took the time and trouble now to look at. We can see them all come together because you have in this Ecclesiastes chapter 12 a very powerful picture, a lot of figurative language, symbolic, of aging. And it's clear enough what's going on. Sometimes we have to sort of look a little bit and figure out what's going on and what the, the different figures mean, but some of them are very obvious. So let's look at verse 1. It says, Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Why is that? Because there's coming evil days and years drawing nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. And then notice the first imagery that's introduced in verse number 2. While the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after rain. Because you see, as we enter into the latter stages of life, more storms. Not to say that you don't have storms when you're young, but more storms, especially in the context of what he's going to talk about here. Because generally speaking, if life goes the way it typically goes, we don't have a lot of storms in the sense of health problems or whatever when we're younger. In fact, we're, we just pretty much feel like we're... we're uh, always going to be that way, right? This can't stop us. It's always going to be this way. 
But as things go along, well, the storms kind of tend to come. And they not only come, but the clouds return seemingly even more quickly after rain. So that's his first picture, the storms. But then he has others. Look at the next verse. In the days when the keepers of the house. So now what he transitions to is kind of a using the picture of an estate or a farm. It's not a very politically correct word now, but you could say a plantation, that type of thing where you've got a farming operation going on. And he says, in the day day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. And notice the next one, the strong men shall bow themselves. Well, the keepers are thought to be the arms and the strong ones, the legs. But these things begin to lose their resiliency, lose their vitality, lose their strength as we get older. Look at some of the imagery as it continues. And he says, and the grinders, that one's not too hard to figure out, is it? The grinders shall cease because they are few. (laughs) Well, you think about this. I want to ask how many people here have all their teeth. But we do understand this, right? And if you would think about going back into Bible times when they didn't have dentistry and those types of things, you could really imagine. And, you know, you can get into some serious trouble with problems with your teeth. So, but this kind of comes on, it seems, in older age. The grinders cease. Now, who? And then it says, because they are few. And then it says, and those that look out the windows be darkened. Could you figure out what that is? Well, you don't see as well, right? Eyesight grows a little dim. And the doors shall be shut, verse 4, in the streets when the sound of the grinding is low. And look, he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. Oh, brother. Talk about the almond meaning wakeful. How many people can identify with that? Can you remember a time? I mean, we have a few younger people here this morning who could probably tell you they, they, this, they can still do this. But I can remember, especially our third child, our son, John, but even I can remember, I can remember, I think he could have slept till noon. And it's not like they were really up into the wee hours of the morning either. We just didn't let him do that. But he could sleep and sleep and sleep. And what's going on with you and me or many of us right now is is that, man, alive, we wake up way before we really want to wake up. Sound of the bird. I remember we used to lay in bed and I used to tell my wife, man, those birds are loud outside. I just, I just turn the tables on them now. I mean, it, it might cost me a little bit in the, in the long run, but I just get up with them. In fact, sometimes I'm up before them. But I also realize that, you know, I can use the time for the Lord, and I do. It says also, and all the daughters of music shall be brought low. What's happening? Now you kind of get to the point in life where you just lose interest in a lot of that kind of thing. I mean, in times past when there would have been merriment in the evening and song, and depending on how wealthy the individuals were, they might have even had people to play for them. Oh, you know, you kind of think to yourself now, eh, you know, and you give out at the end of the day anyway. You're tired. 
And so you got to remember you're going to bed earlier sometimes too. And yeah, you're waking up a little earlier than you want to. Do you see how this all progresses? How all of these figures, look at the next one, verse five. How many people can identify this? And when shall they shall be afraid of that which is high. Did you ever notice that, you know, you kind of change about some of that stuff? You know, you don't feel like you have the balance that you used to. And you don't have to think here so much about going up in an airplane because Solomon wasn't going up in any airplane. But you can think about the fact that maybe before you were, you were perfectly fine with walking along on the top of that wall. And now you kind of look at it and say, eh. Or you were perfectly fine with going up on that ladder. And all of a sudden you kind of say, eh. That's a better job for somebody else. Yeah, it comes. This is all what it is. This is all the picture. And then he caps it off, at least for where we are with our study this morning with our, in this message. He says, And when they shall be afraid of that which is high, and fear shall be in the way, and the almond tree shall flourish. Now we're turning white. Old age. I remember the fellow used to help us out some when we bought the place and had horses and we couldn't be there all the time and he fed them for us he'd come back from a long hard day working on the on the farm and he'd he'd come feed those horses and he'd be there early in the morning and feed them and be there at the end of the end of, end of the while well, he was still working on the farm still doing this hard back-breaking farm work well into his 60s and he got to a place where he couldn't do that anymore but he was still there every day and he used to always say this old age don't catch up with me Old age don't catch up with me. Yeah, well, it does sooner or later. You can run and keep running and keep running, but then you can't run as fast anymore. And it has a way of catching up. And so consider these are some of the more obvious figures, but now the graying and the whitening of the hair. And in the light of this, so what's the point of saying all this? You know, it's not to necessarily leave us depressed. What's the point of saying all this? Well, he has three things to say to us in the light of this. All right? And it's never too late to hear them, even if you don't think you're young now. So I'm going to give them to you, and you can mark them in your Bible, and you can come back and think about them again because you can't beat it. It's right out of the verses, and it's the wisdom of God to us. How do we deal with this aspect of life? You can't beat it. Did you ever think about that? You can't beat it. It's part of the curse of sin, and it's, with, it's beyond our power, just as Aaron's rod was dead as a hammer. It's beyond our power to do anything about. Old age pursues us relentlessly. If God allows us to get old, it pursues us relentlessly and more relentlessly and more relentlessly until finally it overtakes us. There ought to be some wisdom in that. There ought to be something we can take away from that and say, how should I then live my life? All right, here's number one. We back up to chapter 11, verse number nine. If you underline in your Bible, underline the word rejoice. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. And let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth and walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. But, you know, what is God saying? He's saying life has seasons. And when you're young, the thing I give to you is life 
and vitality, energy, strength. Take it and enjoy it. Enjoy it while you can. And the only restraint that Solomon gives to this, lest lest we think that he's telling us to go out and do things that are wrong, he says, just remember, enjoy it because it's God's gift. But just remember in how you exercise that stewardship that God will bring us into judgment. This is what he says, but know that thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. My advice to you here today, if you're younger, and it really doesn't matter where you are, but take what you have and enjoy the day. Enjoy what you have. It's a gift from God. You don't have any guarantee of tomorrow. And even every young person here, you don't know. So don't keep wishing you were older, and don't keep wishing you were older, and don't keep wishing you were older, even though we all did that. We all kept waiting until we were 16 and could have a driver's license. We were 18 and you could vote or whatever else. You're old enough then, the government says, for somebody to shoot at you. Unless you live in Chicago and they shoot at you, it doesn't matter what age you are. But we think about all these things. We can't wait until we get to there. And God says, you know what? It isn't coming back. That time isn't coming back. Enjoy it. Take the gift I've given to you and make the most of it. This is one of the things I really like about the wisdom that God gives us in the book of Ecclesiastes because he's not afraid to tell us. You know, so many Christians seem to think that it's sinful to have a good time. You can't really find that in the Bible. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. Just remember, though, it's a stewardship. That's the point. It's a stewardship. God gave it to you. He will evaluate how you have handled the stewardship. I want to tell you something. Talking about how it progresses. I can't tell you everything about you. I do know certain things about me. And I, I remember, well, I don't want to embarrass anybody here this morning, but a little older than Lydia. When I first became a Christian and I started getting serious about the Bible right away. And I started learning verses. I'll tell you something. Number one, it's a lot easier to learn them when you're younger than it is when you're older. I don't mean you can't learn them when you're older, but you can learn them a lot easier when you're younger. And the Bible tells us, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. I can tell you when I got a little older and I got to the end of all my graduate work and we had what they called Ph.D. comprehensives. Three were written and two were oral. And on the oral ones, one of, one of the phases of, of those two sessions of questioning was, since my major was New Testament interpretation, you were responsible for the chapter content and the interpretive content of the entire New Testament, whether you'd ever had a class in it or not. And so one of the things that they did, and they just asked you questions until they stumped you, And they'd make them progressively harder. They'd say, where does it say this? Where does it say that? Where does it say this and and say that? Well, I just kept getting them. And I'm not bragging. That's just how my mind worked. I could learn those verses and I could tell you in the New Testament where a verse was. Didn't matter if I forgot 
the address because I could remember it. I knew where it was. I could find it in the Bible. Until they got to this question, and even then, I think they were surprised how much of it I knew. I couldn't make the last part of it come. They asked me about this verse in... I want to show you how picky they got with this. They asked me about this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says in verse 11, Only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable for me to the ministry. Antichicus have I sent to Ephesus. And they wanted to know where Tychicus went. I could remember the verse. In fact, I could quote the parts that were before it, but I couldn't remember Ephesus. I just couldn't remember exactly where Paul sent him. I can't do that now. I mean, I can't do it new now without all kinds of effort, but I can tell you this. I clip coupons. It comes to me much more quickly than it ever would have if I hadn't done that if I hadn't taken what I'd been given then and used it. I could tell you about the day, and I'm only trying to illustrate. None of this is meant. I could tell you about the day that I decided I don't want to preach from notes. During a whole lot of the years, 29 in fact, that I was at Calvary, I'd stand up there. It didn't matter if it was Wednesday night. It didn't matter if it was Sunday morning. It didn't matter if it was Sunday night. I always had them in my Bible. I wouldn't look at them. I'd spend time before that message and I could basically tell you exactly what was in that message and I'd get up and preach it because I didn't want the notes to become, I didn't want to feel like I was shackled to them. I can still do that, but it's not worth the time it takes now to do that. You follow what I'm saying? It's just, it's not a, not, and not a wise use of my time. I don't get the, the benefit from it. It's different now. Things are different now. So he says, first of all, rejoice in the vim and vigor of youth, for soon enough it is gone. Secondly, if you mark your Bible, go to verse number one. Remember. There's your R word. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, or the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Because what happens in life You know, this is why Jesus, you know, this is why Jesus said, you guys are wrong. Suffer these little children. Allow these little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He was not only talking about innocence, he was talking about the fact that little kids have an innocence about them. There's an approachability to a little child. There's an openness of a little child to the things of the Lord. What happens? We get a little bit out there in life and get knocked around a little bit. This happens, that happens, and the heart gets a little harder. Something else happens, heart gets a little harder. Something else happens, heart gets a little older. And if you get on out into life far enough like this, you become jaded. I can tell you because all three of my kids worked in Huntington at, at Westminster Woods, which I think some of you would know is, a, is, the, is probably the best rest facility, rest home facility in, in the area. We always liked that because we wanted our children to be comfortable around older people. And all of them are. A lot of, a lot of young people are afraid of older people, and there's, there's no reason for that. 
But I can tell you that sometimes my boys in particular would come home with stories about people who said things to them, older people who said things to them, nasty. Not mean, nasty. Suggestive language. Why? That's the way they live their lives. They live their lives with their mind in the gutter, and in old age it came out. You see what I'm saying? If you progress through life without availing yourself of the grace of God, life has a way of changing us, and many times not for the good. So he says, Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, or the years draw nigh, because before you become diminished and jaded by the passing years. And of course, he then goes on to give this description of what it is. All those figures that we spent time looking at a few moments ago. And here's the third one. Just drop down to the end of the whole thing, verse 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God. So underline the word fear, and you can use the word reverence or revere if you want a third R. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Because why? Because only God has the power to give life and only God has the power. I'll tell you something else. Only God has the power to let you enjoy life. To be satisfied with life. And he will hold us accountable for how we use its every season. Life has its seasons. Let me give you one that's a little bit less secular. This is called seasons. I am the springtime when everything seems so fine. Whether it's rain or sunshine, you will find me playing. Days full of pretending when a dime is a lot to be spending. A time when life is beginning, I am springtime. I am summer, when the days are warm and longer, when the call comes to wander, but I can't go far from home, when the girls become a mystery, when you're barely passing history. And thinking old is when you're 30, I am the summer. I am the autumn days. When changes come so many ways. Looking back, I stand amazed that time has gone so quickly. Just mark that down. When love is more than feelings, it's fixing bike and painting ceilings. It's when you feel a cold wind coming. I am the, the autumn days. I am the winter. When days are cold and bitter. And the days I can remember number more than the days to come. When you ride instead of walking. When you barely hear the talking. And goodbyes are said too often. I am the winner. But I'll see springtime in heaven. And it will last forever. So I like the story. This sort of, I think, takes the admonition of the end, verses 12 and 13, of George Whitfield, when 
they were getting together, a group of friends, on one particular occasion talking about some of the difficulties involved in the ministry, and they were talking about the heavy burdens, and Whitfield was expressing, as were a number of them, that they'd be glad when the days came to an end and that their burdens and work would be soon over and they would depart this earthly scene to be with Christ. Some of the others were saying the same thing. There was all but one person who wasn't joining into this particular sentiment being expressed, and his name was Tennant. Whitfield noticed it. And so Whitfield turned to him after a bit, and he said, Brother Tennant, you are the oldest among us. Do you not rejoice to think that your time is also near at hand when you will be called home? The older man answered somewhat bluntly. He had no wish about it. But they pressed him. They wanted, surely he had something to say. He finally said this, I have nothing to do with death. My business is to live as long as I can and as well as I can and serve my Savior as faithfully as I can until he thinks it's time to call me home. Whitfield accepted that as the gentle admonition and rebuke that it was. So if this all sounded a little depressing to you this morning, consider Aaron's rod. It budded, it blossomed, and it bore almonds. You see, it took a miracle to reverse the deadness. Old age with its senility, debility, and frailty are irreversible. They're products of the fall, except for the miracle of redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Have you ever heard what Benjamin Franklin, actually when he was relatively young in life, wrote for his own epitaph? Listen. The body of Benjamin Franklin, printer. Like the cover of an old book, its content torn out and stripped of its lettering and gilding, lies here food for worms, Yet the work itself shall not be lost, for it will appear once more in a new and more beautiful edition, corrected and amended by the author. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruption must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruption or corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 
O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let us pray.